Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 9th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, industry leaders say medical marijuana will still be weeks in the making so that patients can have it available. We hear what further changes they're seeking to rules and regulations. Then a new quick charge EV station should inform future energy and infrastructure investments. Plus, reflecting on athlete safety following the DeMar Hamlin incident. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's cannabis industry is expected to begin sales within the coming weeks. Timelines originally estimated the product would be available at the beginning of the year, but limitations in testing have delayed that launch. Melvin Robinson is executive director of the Mississippi Cannabis Trade Association, who had a policy forum in Jackson last week. He tells our Kobe Vance the legislative session is a good way for his group to voice their concerns with Lawmakers. The cannabis industry here is a, a legitimate industry here. Uh, between our MSCTA members, they have already invested uh, approximately $75 million into the Mississippi economy uh, through real estate development, uh, workforce development, and such other things. And, you know, we just wanted to make sure that that was known. Uh, we also talked about what we would like to see in this next legislative session and what we would like to see with the rules and regulations, some things we would like to see roll back, some things we would like to see enforced more. And, you know, i got to say that the Department of Revenue and the Department of Health are doing a really great job so far. Uh, just a couple of things we want to see changed, and, uh, yeah, that was what today was focused on. What are some of those things y'all want to see changed? Uh, advertising, advertising. Uh, some of the advertisement rules are uh, they're going to hurt Mississippi companies. Um, some of the patient access um, issues that we have. Uh, we got to make sure that we get as many patients as possible into this program. We want to add a couple of conditions, and we want to make sure that we make this process easier for Mississippi patients. People who aren't uh, as in, in the know, can you describe what are the rules right now? Uh, what does it prevent advertisers from being able to do? And what would you all like to see change to be able to make it more adequate for businesses and customers? So uh, one of the things with advertisement is if you are a cultivation company, you actually can't have pictures or images of your products. So if a uh, company said, hey, I'm going to start a social media page, which is also one of the only ways you can actually advertise. You can't do any traditional advertisement like radio, television, print. You can't actually have pictures of your product. Well, that hurts 
Mississippi businesses because people who might not know exactly what they're looking for, they can't see what they're going to buy. So this is one of those uh, disadvantages for Mississippi companies that we got to make sure that we uh that we that we don't hamper ourselves with, and that's not just for paid advertisements. That's also for just regular posts on their social media pages. Indeed, indeed. So if you have a cultivation company here, and or a dispensary or anything like that, and you cannot put up images of a product. So if you're selling something, say, hey, we have this product here in now. Uh, you can't have a picture of it. <laughs> um, also. Tell me a little bit about some of the other things like that y'all have been noticing. I know we've hit January now. Uh, it's 2023. Um, how's that been going so far? Have people been able to get their um, get the medical marijuana they've been promised for so long? Yeah, um, just a couple of supply chain issues on the testing side. Uh, but testing is com- uh, coming online now. And once that testing comes online, companies will actually be able to send out batches for testing. Once they get those batches back, they can actually put things in dispensaries and everything like that. And yeah, I mean, we have a lot of businesses that have been waiting on that as well. We have 158 uh, dispensary licenses and they're waiting, you know, chomping at the bit to be able to sell as well. But, you know, making sure patients can actually get that access to their medicine. What are some of the feedback you've been hearing from the uh, the conference y'all had? Uh, people like it. People like it. We talked to our business members about what they wanted to see. Right now, there's a rule where out-of-state patients can now only come to Mississippi twice a year. But, uh, you know, Louisiana, they have a program with some uh, thousands of people. Arkansas has a program with thousands of people. Alabama is coming on uh, line very soon. And those are just kind of thousands of people who are leaving out in the cold uh, and leaving money on the table, quite frankly, uh, by just, you know, giving them a arbitrary limit of how many times they can come in the state and buy product. Um, do you think that there's going to, uh, Mississippians can expect any other regulations to change around how it might affect end users? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I am very confident that the Department of Health and the Department of Revenue will uh, listen to these uh, to these issues. They have done a bang-up job so far, uh, and I really want to always give them kudos for uh, what they have been doing in such a short amount of time. You know, a lot of people forget that they had a very, very, very short window to get all of this done, and they have done that uh, very well, and I appreciate them. Melvin Robinson is executive director of the Mississippi Cannabis Trade Association. Among the business leaders who attended the organization's Capital Day on Friday is attorney Claire Millette. She's a partner with the law firm Cosmich, Simmons, and Brown. Millette says it's important for businesses to be engaged during the early years of a new industry to help shape its future. At this point so far, it's primarily related to real estate transactions, licensing, Um, and just digesting the regulations and working with companies on compliance issues and things like that. Um, Also, corporate formation documents and um, just helping get businesses ready to go and educating them on what those rules are and what the law is. And uh, we're happy to be part of the trade association because it's a great way for us to meet potential um, entrants into into the marketplace that we could potentially assist. How is it different to be able to help people in this field compared to other fields that might be, you know, more mainstream, uh, have been in Mississippi for longer? I'd say it's the thing that has stuck out most to me is it's brand new. And so it's educating yourself as well as the clients on what the laws are and anticipating how we, they may can be evolving and, and learning how, how to 
basically create something from the beginning. You know, I, I applaud our state government for the program that they put together, and they did an amazing job. And so now it's our job to study and learn and help them operate it, you know, the way that that it should be. And so um, I guess in, in comparison to, to go back to your question, other industries is a lot of the other work that I had done in the legal field were things that were already set. You know, the laws, the case law existed, and then you learn, and it does evolve as decisions are made by the courts. But this for Mississippi is brand new. So you're kind of at, you know, ground zero and learning everything as it comes to fruition and what certain laws mean, how they might be interpreted, and, and what to do going forward. On the topic of laws, Mississippi's still in the point where things can develop year after year uh, as this business begins to grow. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on being able to be a part of the legal front when it comes to this developing industry. It's been really exciting. It's been, um, you know, Mississippi had an interesting and winding road to get to this point. We had um, an election over two years ago, and then that was through a, a voter ballot initiative process that, that was ultimately overturned by our Supreme Court. And then put uh, through that, we then turned to our legislature. So it's been who put a program in place last year. And it's been such an interesting study on just watching all of our different branches of government work and then looking at what the rules come out, digesting them for the first time, have, have, trying to think about how different things could, um, what they mean and how they will how they will play out in the, in the field because there is no precedent. And so you're trying to, it's really helps, it's a lot of mental gymnastics of thinking of everything that you can um, and trying to be as protective of your clients as you can be because there is no road before us. And so we're you know, coming up with it right now. Claire Millette, attorney, is a partner with the law firm Cosmich, Simmons, and Brown. Coming up, a new quick-charge EV station should inform future energy and infrastructure investments. You'll learn more about that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Discover everything MPB Think and MPB Music Radio have to offer with just the sound of your own voice. Ask for the one you want by name. For news, great storytelling, humor, games, and more, say smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. For musical selections, ranging from a dozen genres from classical to bluegrass, jazz to adult alternative, say smart speaker, play MPB Music Radio. Tuning in is easier than ever. Just ask for the one you want by name. Say smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Entergy and the Public Service Commission hope a new electronic vehicle charging station will provide data on how to grow the future of EVs in the state. Last week, Entergy launched a quick charge station in Ridgeland that's part of a pilot project. Central District Public Service Commissioner Brent Bailey tells our Michael Guidry the new station will answer a lot of questions about how to plan and prepare for electrification. Being a pilot project, it also gives them the opportunity to further understand, evaluate, and analyze consumer habits, um, utilization, frequency of use, and how the times that these systems are utilized, how it impacts the local grid. So this is going to be as much as a, you know, I wouldn't exactly call it a research project, but certainly 
the pilot project characteristics of learning, adapting, and understanding um, how these systems are utilized and how they have could potentially have an impact on the local grid. Now, this one is a level three direct current fast charger. Uh, this means it can it is capable of, of achieving uh, speeds of up to 120 kilowatts. Um, that allows a car to be fully recharged in 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the type of car and the size of the battery. So this one is, you know, it's not the type you would typically find at your home or, or maybe at other businesses. This is certainly for those people that are doing interstate travel um, that are not going to be in a, at a certain location for three, three or four hours, but need that topping off charge and to resume their travels within a shorter time period. How much does location and maybe proximity to um, to a station or a superstation, how, what kind of factors go and have to be considered when deciding on a location for a charging station such as that? Well, there are certainly uh, multiple factors that go into that. Number one, what does the traffic count look like and who's going to utilize it? Uh, this one is right there adjacent to I-55. It's not too far from I-20. And it's at a facility that has a lot of visitors. But you also got to be sure that you have the infrastructure in place that's uh, capable of supporting um, the level of power needed to support these facilities. Um, So that's an important component that has to be considered. And the distance that has to be, you know, for power to be run, the type of power, um, for these systems to be um, effective. And, you know, that could get expensive as well if it's not close by um, the, the, the infrastructure that can support the uh, extensive use and, and power utilized for these types of, of uh, equipment. That's a good bridge to what I wanted to ask next, and that is these charging stations, um, maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the line, might be a, a, a major part of, of travel infrastructure. A lot of infusion of federal dollars. We've even heard some elected officials, uh, to top of mind, uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, talk about investing in in the infrastructure for electric vehicles. Uh, what does this project say to the progress of that? And then the information that you said that this pilot's going to give you, how will it inform what the infrastructure for this, for EVs and EV travel, what it might look like in Mississippi five and 10 years down the line? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's a great question. We're, we're just on the cusp of electrification of transportation. We know that dozens and dozens and dozens of new models have been proposed and are being proposed. Uh, here locally, Nissan is in preparing to roll out uh, two new models within the next year and a half or two years. Um, and we've seen other automakers in, in, their level, in a tremendous level of investment here in the southeast for electric vehicle production dedicated strictly to those and the support systems for, for batteries uh, and those components to build those types of vehicles. So while the administration has certainly very aggressive goals, um, and we've seen mandates being adopted in certain states, uh, the shift to electrification is, is likely very real. Uh, what the adoption rate will be in Mississippi, you know, that, that remains to be seen. And the support systems and the charging infrastructure outside the home will probably have a lot to do with that. 
and also you know the interstate travel of um, individuals could also be in, impacted by the number of systems that we have here. But we also got to make sure that as, as these systems are being deployed, um, that we understand how those costs are being recovered and who they're being recovered by and how they're being paid for and who's paying for them um, and who are they ultimately benefiting and what is the impact on the resiliency and reliability of not only the grid but also the power system. As we see the, the shift in the, the transportation side, we're also seeing a shift in our electrical generation portfolio, that fleet as well. We have a lot of assets out there that are aging, um, and what what type of electricity is going to replace them, or what type of generation facility is going to be dispatchable, baseload, or or variable and inter- intermittent, and when does what does battery energy storage look like um, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? So there's still a lot of variables in play, and you know we've got to understand what consumer habits are ultimately going to be as well, when to charge, how to charge. Um, to ensure that you know, we don't want everybody plugging it at one time and, uh, hmm. and adversely impacting, you know, having adverse system impacts. And I think with the technology, uh, smart grid, uh, communication, smart meters, AMI, advanced meter infrastructure, all those types of things, um, we'll be able to, to smooth out those peaks and valleys and have a more uh, a, a more a smoother um, charging profile as more of these vehicles hit the road. Well, Brent Bailey, Public Service Commissioner for the Central District of Mississippi, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to talk energy with us. Well, I appreciate it, Mr. Michael, and any time, be more than happy. Coming up, reflecting on athlete safety following the DeMar Hamlin incident, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. One week ago, Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field following a tackle. Medical staff performed CPR and defibrillation on the 24-year-old before he was transported to a hospital where he has remained in intensive care. The event has sparked discussion in the sports community about the dangers of playing contact games like football and if coaches are doing enough to protect players of all ages. Cleveland, Mississippi native Pete Hurt is retired now, but has a football coaching career spanning almost 40 years. He tells our Lacey Alexander, safety is a mindset that should start at the youngest levels. People ask me all the time, uh, you know, like, we've got to start them at six years old, seven years old, eight years old, you know. You know, but uh, my son was... You know, he he played for me in high school, but, you know, he wasn't eating up with playing football. And But my biggest concern uh, with him playing young is um, the 
and I'm not bashing anybody, but the training the coaches have, you know, the daddies are who, you know, are coaching them. And I've just seen time after time, you know, where coaches of these little league football teams, you know, they, they, they want to be tough. They want to be Bear Bryant. They want to be this or that. And, and they just get the kids out there and run them into each other and don't teach them any fundamentals about how to tackle or how to block. And so to me, it, it's a huge safety issue. And if you teach the fundamentals of the game, you can hopefully decrease injuries. And you worked so long with football at the high school level. Obviously, these high school young men are going to watch pro and college sports with their dads, with their families. When these young men see an injury like Hamlin's and then come to you to talk about it or ask about it or express concerns about it, what do you say to them when there's a big injury like this that they need to absorb and learn from? What is your message to your young teammates at those times? Well, I would, and I've, that was a tragic situation, but I remember several of them, you know, Daryl Stingley and, you know, people have been paralyzed. People have, you know, uh, I'm old, but Joe Theismann and his ankle and, uh, you know, just gruesome, gruesome things that you, that you see on TV, college pro or even high school. And, um, and it can be an attention getter. And, but, uh, at the same time, you want them to understand that there is a certain way you need to play the game. I have a real issue or a real conviction, so to speak, that, that I think it ought to be mandatory for every high school everywhere to have a full-time trainer because I've been out there. Uh, I've been fortunate most of the time to have one, but uh, a lot of times they come out in the afternoon, you know, maybe at practice or, or whatever. But, but uh, you know, if you really and truly are saying that safety of our students is the number one concern, as many school districts that do, then I think we need to take that serious because as we saw, with Hamlin, it, it doesn't take but one one play, one hit. But there again, I, I think it's got to be a total commitment because the thing that I've always tried to do is, uh, and when I've been a head coach and told my assistant coaches, whether you're coaching the kid or whatever, but the one thing you got to remember is that's somebody's child. And how would you want your child to be treated? And are we doing the best we can to obviously help them become the best football players they can, but as a person and keep them as healthy as possible? This is kind of a silly but still a necessary question. Do you find that some young men find it emasculating to talk about safety and injury? Does it sometimes threaten a player's pride or manlyhood to admit he's hurt or worried about being hurt? Well, that that is true. And that's been the the ongoing, uh, I want to say maybe stigma 
in athletics or particularly football, you know, like uh, if somebody's constantly hurt and, you know, then they can, the first thing that happens is if they get injured in any way, they, the first thing is they're, they're kind of isolated from the team. You know, they don't feel a part of it anymore because they're not, they're just, you know, standing over on side or watching and this and that. And my theory has always been that, you know, if you're injured and you get checked out or the doctor or trainer says you're injured and, and then your job is to get well. But the majority of your good players, you know, they don't want to come out. You know, that, oh, I'm all right, you know, but so you have to use hopefully some common sense. Say, okay, no, I, I'm not going to let you practice the rest of the day because I want you to be get healthy. But I think as society has changed, I think we are a little more, uh, I, I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but uh, that more sympathetic, I guess, to and more aware of health risk than what we would have been back when I was playing. Pete Hurd is a former Mississippi high school football coach. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.